Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Let's head down range and see what the target shows. Hey, looks like today I hit way back into antiquity, and we'll be talking about Hannibal. No, not Hannibal Lecter, and no, not Hannibal, the leader of the A-Team. I'm talking about THE Hannibal, also known as Hannibal Barca, the great Carthaginian general. I bet a lot of you have heard of him, if for no other reason than he was the guy who marched war elephants over the Alps to attack Rome. And because that's what most people know about him, his name has often been associated with zany, off-the-wall plans. But let me tell you something. Even though his plans were often audacious, I think it's kind of unfair to stereotype him in that way. And what I hope to show you in this episode is that he was one of the great generals of antiquity. Rank him right up there with Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and Scipio Africanus, who shows up later in our story, by the way. So let's start. What we first need to realize is that even though Hannibal was such a great general, we actually don't know a whole lot about him. We have no ancient biographies talking about him, nor do we have any of his writings. What we do know mainly comes from Greek and Roman historians writing about the Punic Wars. Here's what we can say about his early life. His father was Hamilcar Barca, one of the great Carthaginian generals who fought in the First Punic War. Who was his mother? Yeah, we don't know. But we do know he had at least a sister and a brother. Hannibal himself was born in 247 BC in Carthage. That would be like in modern-day Tunisia. And the First Punic War ended six years after his birth in 241. The treaty between Rome and Carthage stated Carthage could continue to occupy regions in what is now Spain as long as they maintained their steady flow of tribute to Rome and kept to certain areas. Around 238 BC, when Hannibal was nine, his father took him to Spain on a military expedition. Over the next years at his father's side, he learned how to fight, to track the enemy, and most importantly, how to outthink them. He quickly became a skilled strategist and was given command of troops at an early age. How young? Yeah, we don't know. But remember, during ancient times, there really wasn't a concept of the teenager. Those sort of transition years between childhood and adulthood. In ancient times, you were a child, then you became an adult, like no in between. So I guess you could say he grew up quick. Anyway, we know that sometime later, Hannibal's father drowned, and rule of the army in Spain passed to Hannibal's brother-in-law, Hasdrubal the Fair. When Hasdrubal was assassinated in 221 BC, the troops demanded that Hannibal be their new commander. He was only 25 going on 26 when this happened. One last thing to say about his early years, we do know he was married by the time of his greatest victories. But all we know about his wife is her name, Emily's, and the fact she bore him a son. What happened to her and their son, 
is lost to history. But now let's get to what we know more about. As I said earlier, the treaty following the First Punic War allowed Carthage to maintain a presence in Spain. And one of the cities that supported Carthaginian interests was Saguntum. That is, until 219 BC, when Rome staged a coup in the city and installed a pro-Roman government that was quite hostile to Carthage. Hannibal decided to do something about this, so the next year, 218 BC, he marched on Saguntum, and after a siege captured the city. The Romans were furious about this, and demanded that Carthage turn over Hannibal. Carthage refused, and thus began the Second Punic War, a war that would last for the next 16 years, all the way up until 202 BC. Finding himself at war with Rome, Hannibal decided to take the fight to them and made plans to invade northern Italy that same year. As an invasion route, he decided to march his army across the Alps. Yeah, I know, that's pretty crazy, but it was also quite a masterful move. He'd be attacking Rome from a totally unexpected direction. That is, if he could pull it off. Hannibal left his brother, Hasdrubal Barca, in charge of his army in Spain. Yeah, I know, his brother and his brother-in-law had the same first name, but don't get confused. Remember, his brother-in-law was dead, so only his brother will be mentioned again. Hannibal and his troops began to march toward Italy. Along the way, Hannibal used his political skills and portrayed himself as a great liberator who'd be freeing the people living in Spain from Roman control. This caused numerous men to join him, and by the time he reached the Alps, his army had eh, around 50,000 infantry, 9,000 cavalry, and a number of war elephants. How many, we're not totally sure. He also had a number of portable siege weapons. These would have been similar to what the Roman siege weapons were of that time, like the ballista, which was a large crossbow-looking device, or the onager, which was a, a torsion-powered catapult on a wheeled frame. Hannibal and his army began to cross the Alps in late October 218 BC. He was forced to leave his siege weapons behind, of course, because of the terrain, but the elephants made the journey. The route they took, including which particular mountain pass was used, is unknown. Historians have long debated it, so you know, we'll let the historians argue, and instead, we'll just focus on the story. Not only did the troops have to deal with steep slopes and frigid temperatures, they also had to contend with hostile tribes who lived in the mountains, so their ascent was difficult. In essence, they had to fight the terrain, they had to fight the weather, and they had to fight the tribes to reach whichever high pass they were going to use to finally make their descent. And remember, these troops mainly came from either North Africa or Spain, so they were not at all used to the extreme cold. Their descent from the Alps didn't involve fighting any more hostile tribes, yay, but was still very difficult. You see, the Italian side of the Alps is steeper, and snow in many areas partially melts during the day only to refreeze each night. This made the marching conditions especially treacherous and led to the loss of even more men and animals to falls. When Hannibal and his army finally came down from the Alps after 17 days of traveling, 
they were reduced to about half strength and only had a few elephants left. And those few wouldn't last very long anyway. Sorry to bum you out about the elephants. So yeah, an audacious plan, and a very costly one. But you know something? It caught the Romans completely by surprise. In their wildest dreams, they would have never considered an army would cross the Alps to attack them. They actually thought Hannibal was still in Spain somewhere, until frantic reports reached Rome saying he and his army were wandering around northern Italy. The Romans did respond quickly and sent the general Scipio and his son Scipio, I guess you could say Junior, history is going to know him later as Scipio Africanus, with an army to intercept Hannibal. The Roman forces met Hannibal at the Ticino River and were defeated. Scipio, the father, was almost killed in the battle. Hannibal took it to the Romans again at Lake Trisimene, giving him control of northern Italy. But with no siege weapons, and by now no elephants, he didn't have the strength to actually take any of the cities. So again, he played the role of liberator to try to win over cities. He also sent word to Carthage asking for more men and supplies, especially siege weapons. The Carthaginian Senate turned them down. They were like, yeah, we don't want to spend the money, and hey, you can handle the situation. Just live off the land. Because of this, Hannibal had no choice but to continue playing the role of liberator, rallying support and help as best as he could. A number of cities in northern Italy sided up with him against Rome and he also got more new volunteers. Of course, victories on the battlefield helped with this too. After defeating the Romans again at the Battle of Trebia, Hannibal moved northward to winter his troops and make plans for a new campaign in the spring of 217 BC. When spring arrived, Hannibal went on the offensive and destroyed a Roman army under Gaius Flaminius and pounded another under Civilius Geminus. In response to these butt kickings, Rome sent in general Quintus Fabius Maximus. Fabius, as I'll call him, decided to use a new strategy. He knew that Hannibal and his army were living off the land, so he began to play a cat and mouse game with him. He strategically moved and placed his armies to prevent Hannibal from either attacking him or from retreating from Italy. These delaying tactics, which earned Fabius the nickname the Delayer, were designed to keep Hannibal moving and off balance, making it more difficult for the troops to live off the land and wearing them down without risking a toe-to-toe -to -toe battle. This strategy proved successful and nearly caught Hannibal in a trap. Fabius had Hannibal and his troops pinned down near Capua with their backs to the Volturnus River. With retreat cut off, it seemed he would either have to surrender or try to fight his way out of the trap. During the night, the Romans saw a line of torches moving out of the Carthaginian camp and heading for an area in the lines where a strong Roman garrison held the ground. To Fabius and his generals, it appeared Hannibal was making a move at night to try to fight his way out. Fabius's generals told him to launch a night attack to crush Hannibal between the garrison and their own troops, but Fabius said no. He figured that the garrison toward which the Carthaginians were marching was strong enough to prevent a breakout until morning, when a daylight attack 
would prove to be better planned. Meanwhile, the Roman garrison, seeing all those torches moving toward them in the dark, decided to march out and meet them in battle. However, when they got nearer, they found nothing but a group of cattle with torches tied to their horns. So while they were chasing cows, Hannibal and his army slipped through the area that they had just vacated and escaped into the night. Even though Hannibal had escaped, Fabius still believed his strategy of wearing him down was working, but Rome thought otherwise, and demanded Fabius take direct action and engage Hannibal in open battle. He was reluctant to do this, so Rome sent a younger general named Minicus Rufus to be his co-commander. Rufus, being young and brash, talked a good game about how he would defeat Hannibal and restore peace to the region. Fabius understood Hannibal, and he tried to warn Rufus that he was no ordinary adversary. But Rufus didn't want to hear it from the timid old man. So Fabius gave Rufus half the army and told him to have at it. Rufus immediately attacked Hannibal near Gerion and was so badly mauled by the Carthaginians that Fabius had to come save him and what little of his troops were left from total annihilation. After this, Fabius resigned his position in disgust. And as for Rufus, well, he disappears from the pages of history. Hannibal then led his army to the Roman supply depot at Cannae, which he easily took. This allowed him to resupply his forces and give them a much needed rest. At this point, Hannibal's troops numbered somewhere near 50,000. Rome responded by sending the two consuls, Lucius Aemilius Paulus and Caius Terentius Varro, with an army of 80,000 to retake Cannae. As the Romans approached, Hannibal, being the master strategist that he was, learned as much as he could about his foes, trying to find their strengths and weaknesses. What he discovered was that the two consuls traded off overall command of the army on different days, which to me seems kind of odd, but what do I know? He also found out that of the two of them, Varro was the one more eager to fight and more likely to make reckless decisions. Hannibal would use this information to his advantage, because when the Battle of Cannae began, it was Varro's day to be in charge. To play on Varro's overconfidence, Hannibal arrayed his troops in a crescent shape, with the center bowing out toward the enemy. In the center front, he put his light infantry, with his heavy infantry behind them. On his flanks, he placed his heavy and light cavalry. Varro moved the Roman troops into a traditional formation to hit the center of the enemy. He was supremely confident that this battle would go like so many others the Roman legions had fought in the past, hit the enemy center and break their line. That's exactly what Hannibal wanted him to think. As the Romans advanced, the Carthaginian light infantry pulled back evenly, drawing the Romans in. This created the illusion that the center was retreating and would break, but after drawing the Romans in, Hannibal's light infantry moved off toward the ends of the formation, and the heavy infantry moved up and started pounding on the Romans. At the same time, the cavalry on both flanks engaged the Roman cavalry and dispersed them, and then began to close in on both Roman flanks. 
the Romans continued to press forward with their infantry. But this just pushed the Roman front lines right into the heavy infantry of the Carthaginians to be totally slaughtered. And by now, the Carthaginian cavalry had met up behind the Romans, completely surrounding them. The battle became a rout. Of the 80,000 Roman troops who took part in the battle, somewhere around 44,000 were killed. That's more than half, while Hannibal lost only about 6,000. Cannae was a huge victory for Hannibal and a devastating loss for Rome. It caused a number of Italian city-states to defect from Rome and support Hannibal. It also gave Philip V of Macedon the opportunity to declare his support of Hannibal and launched the first Macedonian war with Rome. Great, so now Rome has a war with him to worry about too. It seemed like the city of Rome itself would be Hannibal's next target, and the citizens mobilized to defend their city. But here's the thing, Hannibal couldn't actually make a move on Rome. Though he won an epic victory at Cannae, his army was exhausted. On top of this, he didn't have any siege weapons or elephants to storm the city, and he didn't have enough men to properly encircle the city for a prolonged siege. Remember, the Carthaginian Senate had refused his request for more men, siege weapons, and elephants. So he was kind of stuck. Now, of course, the Romans didn't know this. They thought an attack was imminent. So the Roman Senate called for a general to volunteer to lead the defense of the city. Most of the available commanders, seeing what had happened at Cannae, refused, calling such a command a suicide mission. The only man to step up was 24-year-old Scipio Africanus. Remember him? He had been part of his father's army that faced Hannibal earlier in the campaign. When Scipio left Rome, he had only 10,000 infantry and about 1,000 cavalry. And wow, that's not very much at all. So rather than march out to face Hannibal, Scipio decided to head to Spain. Spain? Why Spain? Scipio figured that he would first hit the Carthaginian forces in Spain under Hannibal's brother Hasdrubal. Remember him? The idea behind this was to secure Spain to prevent any Carthaginian reinforcements from reaching Hannibal in Italy. In essence, to keep Hannibal cut off. Scipio won his first victory in Spain at Carthago Nova and went from there piling up victories. In 208 BC, he defeated Hasdrubal at the Battle of Becula, giving Rome control of Spain. Hasdrubal, seeing that there was nothing more he could do, marched the remains of his army over the Alps into Italy. His plan was to join up with his brother for a united attack on Rome. By the time Hasdrubal made it into Italy, it was 207 BC, and he ended up engaging a Roman army under the command of Gaius Claudius Nero at the Battle of the Metaris River. And no, this Nero is no relation to the wacky Emperor Nero, who will show up in like two and a half centuries. The Carthaginians were soundly defeated. Hasdrubal himself was killed in the fighting, and his forces were scattered. The wild thing about this was that Nero's forces had been engaging Hannibal in the south, but had slipped away one night, fought Hasdrubal and won, then returned to their former positions 
without Hannibal even noticing they were gone. The following morning, Hannibal received quite a nasty surprise. Troops from Nero's army rode up to the sentries of his camp and tossed Hasdrubal's severed head at them. Ouch, what a way to find out your brother was dead. And the thing is, even knowing Hasdrubal was dead, Hannibal still had no clue that Spain had fallen under Roman control. He just assumed Hasdrubal had come to help him, leaving Spain still in Carthaginian hands. Meanwhile, Scipio, who was still in Spain, was planning his next move. He believed that if he actually invaded North Africa, Carthage would have no choice but to recall Hannibal back to defend the home turf. Consequently, Scipio asked the Roman Senate for money and supplies to carry out this invasion. The Roman Senate refused. Scipio was furious and set about raising his own army and appealing directly to the Roman people for funds. It was like, hey, people of Rome, your cheapskate Senate won't fund my army, so I'm asking you for donations. The Senate was highly embarrassed and quickly relented, supplying Scipio with what he needed for his invasion. Scipio landed his invasion force in North Africa in 205 BC and allied himself with the Numidian king Masinissa. He quickly took the Carthaginian city of Utica and then began his long march toward Carthage itself. As expected, Hannibal was recalled from Italy to deal with this threat. And that brings us to the meeting of Scipio's and Hannibal's forces in 202 BC at the famous Battle of Zama. You see, even though Scipio was still relatively young, he had made it a point to study Hannibal's tactics and had an idea of what to expect out of him. On the other hand, Hannibal didn't have much intel on Scipio, other than the fact that this young general had somehow won control of Spain. Hannibal assumed he'd follow the usual Roman battlefield strategies. So when the Battle of Zama began, Scipio seemed to confirm Hannibal's expectations when he appeared to arrange his forces in a traditional formation. Hannibal felt certain he could use an elephant charge and scatter the Romans. But notice I said Scipio appeared to arrange his forces traditionally. In reality, what looked like the traditional close-packed horizontal front line for the Romans, which Hannibal saw from his position on the battlefield, actually served to mask a very different formation. Behind his front line, Scipio had arranged his troops in vertical rows. When Hannibal launched his war elephants into a charge, the Roman front line moved out of the way and the elephants ended up charging harmlessly down the alleys between the Roman troops. From here it was easier for the Romans to take out the elephant handlers and turn the beasts back on the Carthaginian lines. Hannibal was defeated in this battle, which brought about an end to the Second Punic War. After the war, Hannibal went into Carthaginian politics for a while and then ended up going into exile. And of course, there would be a third Punic War between Rome and Carthage as well. But talking about all that, well, that would be another story. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, please tell your friends. And I look forward to talking with you again in our next episode.